but they both get distracted after Steve violently kills a pilot and gets gets but it was okay because it was a Nazi. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> we're all we're excusing all of these, but it was violent. Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. This season, we're racing through every part of the Tomorrowverse on yet another DC animated podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC animated podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That was the year. The British documentary series called Future Fantastic premiered, and it had episodes where it asked real scientists questions about the future, including one called Weird Science, showing how, how close we've come to defying gravity, achieving invisibility, and attaining perpetual energy. Spoiler, not very far, I'm assuming. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Not, in 96, uh, as you can see, we've done none of those things. <laughs> so, and in 2024, we have also done none of those things. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no, no, not a single one. <laughs> Future fantastic. Um, I'm getting why I only got one season. Uh, <laughs> You're like, yeah, yeah, we got to cut this out right now. We can't be slacking on national television. <laughs> but I see what you're going with it. I'm assuming maybe somebody kind of went back into the past and tried to share some information. But unfortunately, you're not allowed to share information from the future in the past and totally understand that because that's how you could get things like Hot Tub Time Machine and Google making the things I don't I saw the movie, but I don't want to spoil it for anybody who has it. <laughs> Just know, be careful what hot tubs you go into during vacation. <laughs> exactly. And speaking of vacations, we're talking about one superhero who takes probably the worst vacation ever. <laughs> um, because this future man by which we are talking about the Flash is our titular character here today in Justice Society. World War II. Uh, this is the 40-odd-ish film within the DC um, animated universe. And this is the second feature-length film within the Tomorrowverse as a whole. So this followed right after uh, Superman, Man of Tomorrow. Uh, we are keeping here with our PG-13 rating with a runtime of 84 minutes. Uh, this film came out in 2021 and was directed by Jeff Wamster with a screenplay written by Megan Fitzmartin and Jeremy Adams. Names, these names probably sound familiar because they probably had, they also had a hand in a lot of the showcases that we saw in our first uh, episode of this new season here. So if you like Commandy, um, good for you. <laughs> it's nothing like that. <laughs> Not want to talk about Commandy right now. <laughs> Right now, the, the ranking currently is Harm followed by Commandy. <laughs> Commandy's just doing his best. <laughs> oh, man. But we got animation services provided to us today by Answer Studio and Studio Grita. Grita. As you know, they've been kind of handling it here for the Tomorrowverse, creating these characters that I've pulled right from the comic book pages. 
with their sharper lines, the sharper jaw lines. Because we got our cast list, which is as follows. Uh, returning from her role as Lois Lane in Superman Unbound, we got Stana Kotick, um, known famously as uh, Beckett on the Castle series. She is now Diana, a.k.a. Wonder Woman in our film today. The Flash, um, we do have Matt Bomer, who is doing double DC work because I think he was voicing The Flash when he was Negative Man on uh, Doom Patrol. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, there would have been some overlap because Doom Patrol just ended. So, yeah, he was at least. Yeah, yeah, definitely doing double. All right. Well, look at that, because uh, Matt Bomer is our Flash today. So in that, um, you know, he's probably doing double work at double the speed here. <laughs> uh, speaking of Flash, we do have another Flash as we have Armin Taylor, who's returning to the Tomorrowverse, as you saw, he was in our showcases uh, from our first episode of the season. Today, he is now voicing Jay Garrick's The Flash, which I'm assuming abides by more laws than the Young Justice version of his character. I have some commentary about that, so I still think this is the world's fastest criminal. Uh... <laughs> Next up, we got Omid Abtahi, who may have set many Star Wars fans as Dr. Penn Pershing. Um, I feel like many people who are fans of Baby Yoda or Grogu do not like this man since the very first episode of the show. <laughs> Uh, but today he is voicing Carter Hall, a.k.a. Hawkman. Darren Chris reprises his role as Superman from our last film, as well as the random person that they brought along onto their mission today, Shakespeare. Uh, but not that Shakespeare. It's just <laughs> another Shakespeare. Just a wild name to give to yourself, you know? Yeah, very weird. <laughs> Next up, we got Chris Diemtopoulos. Uh, he voiced Green Arrow in your favorite Batman Unlimited films. Oh, God. <laughs> Is today just PTSD day? <laughs> uh, but today we see that he is Wonder Woman's boyfriend, Steve Trevor. I mean, he's also a colonel within the United States Army, but I do appreciate that he's more known <laughs> as Wonder Woman's boyfriend. <laughs> Simone Biles would like to have a word with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jeffrey Arend was once Edward Nigma in Batman Hush. But today, he voices the advisor to Aquaman, whose name wasn't revealed at all <laughs> in the film. But I'm just going to spoil it here because it's revealed that this man's real name is Charles Halstead, who in comic book history is known as the Psycho Pirate. Well, is it because he didn't think his name would be PC? I, I, why, why didn't we get one? Right. <laughs> I don't know. We'll never know. But uh, apparently we have to keep on going because we don't care about Psycho Pirate. But we do care about Liam McIntyre, who has been a wizard of the weather in so many DC productions. But today he is Aquaman. <laughs> Upgrade, I guess. Uh, I mean, it's all about this. I, guess, I think Liam just likes playing in water. I think that's yeah. just what it is. <laughs> I was like, this Aquaman, probably not an upgrade he was looking for. <laughs> oh, definitely not. Uh, next up, we got Alicia Rotaru, who played a big role in Seasons 4, Leanne Yu Island flashback story on Arrow that I don't remember at all. <laughs> that was probably the my least favorite series of flashbacks because really yep. nothing, nothing really happened. Nothing. It wasn't related to the current time at all. Like what was going on on the show with Damien Dark. Eh, yeah, I didn't like this. <laughs> yeah. So no offense to her, but today she does get another shot at it because today she's voicing another Arrow character, uh, Dinah Drake or Lance, depending on what you prefer, a.k.a. Black Canary. And I say Drake or Lance because apparently the name does change 
in the film, according to Steve Trevor. Oh, well, you know, time, time, mm-hmm. dimensions, <laughs> space, reality. <laughs> it's like, okay, then. <laughs> Wrapping it up really quickly here, we got in a few brief scenes, we have Dr. Fate, who isn't shared much in our film, but he is voiced by Keith Ferguson, who is the voice of Blue in Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. Oh, right. I was not expecting that. <laughs> Me neither. I My jaw dropped when I saw more kind of similar to how his jaw dropped in the film. But we'll talk about oh. that. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, I'm going to go off on this one because um, we have the voice who has dubbed so many characters in anime, including Levi Ackerman from Attack on Titan, Jotaro Kujo and Jojo's Bizarre Adventures, Trafalgar Law and One Piece Hit in Dragon Ball Super, and Liario in Hunter Hunter. As today, we have Matthew Mercer, who is voicing for an hour at a time Rex Tyler, the hour man. <laughs> oh, nice. I one day I hope he'll be, get to finish Hunter Hunter. But uh <laughs> That's a high yeah, ass answer. Yeah, yeah I know, I know. <laughs> we Dr. will Fate. see many we will see many multiverses in the DC universe before we see the end to Hunter Hunter. And one of them might have the ending. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so with all that, it's ready to let's, um, boom tube over to the beginning of Justice Society World War II. Well, it lives up to its promise pretty quick because the Nazis are taking Poland and most of Europe <laughs> and Russia. And to make things worse, they're looking for magical artifacts around the world. So in the midst of all this dark news, Steve Trevor is giving a press conference and he says, we might have something to deal with that magical part. Um, so we have this lineup of heroes and we're introduced to our man, Dinah, the king of crime, Jay Garrick. And Carter Hall reminds you that Jay Carrick bites crime when he's not causing it. I do also like Carter Hall when he's introduced Hawkman. They're like, oh, this is his fourth reincarnation at life. And the guy's like, what are those wings? It's like, are you more concerned about the wings than the <laughs> fact that this man says he's been re- reincarnated four times? Come on, uh, let's get priorities straight. And to lead this team, we have Wonder Woman, who kind of very much feels like a cap figure if Cap had mm. like super powered backup <laughs> at some point <laughs> which has somebody done let's do it now that we have the team introduced more efficiently than 2016 Suicide Squad and we can go to the cool credits <laughs> and get this movie started with something a little bit different yeah we are in a time of peace as we hop on over to the present uh, Barry Allen is walking over Iris West and I do enjoy the fact that Ever since the Flash TV show has been canon, that Iris is now black yes. <laughs> across like an- animation and uh, comics in the, a lot of them. Happy Black so, History Month, y'all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they're trying to have a picnic in Metropolis. And this is all so that Barry could take some time away from his job. Unfortunately, because he keeps using his powers, Iris is quite upset over the fact that it doesn't really feel like it's a vacation but rather just uh, like a little break in his typical day. And this leads into a very open conversation about what does their relationship look like? And if any person knows, whenever someone in the relation, in whatever thing you're in, 
ask you this question, you kind of need to slow down and address it, whether it, whatever your decision you may make. She asks, like, hey, I feel like this relationship is going nowhere. It's just kind of ironic when you think about the world's fastest man is dragging his feet about this relationship. <laughs> what an excuse to have. I mean, and I d- definitely sympathize with her, though. If I had somebody in my crew that can go and run back and get the stuff I left, I would appreciate that. But that's mm-hmm. just me. But Barry counters with saying, look, the reason I want to keep you safe is be- to make sure no one finds out our connection and then no one can hurt you by extension. And, you know, it's again, I like when it's a little subtle, when they give you a little credit, because we know that Barry's mom died when he was younger by the mm. hands of reverse flash, probably unless it's the 2023 movie where they don't. Barry's mom was just killed by a rando, I guess, or nobody. Um, We're looking at you, slow shield for protecting <laughs> Barry's mom. What happened there? <laughs> but we know that he's had personal experience with it. So it does hit that he's like, okay, I want to keep you safe. And right in the middle of the argument, saved by the Brainiac, because Brainiac is going all in on Superman. And unlike Unbound, we enjoy watching this battle. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, one thing I did realize is that this is the creepiest version of Brainiac I've ever seen uh, to mm. date because Brainiac has no neck. Oh, uh, <laughs> yes. Like, it's a little <laughs> weird to see. It's just very like head forward and then you just see open space. So no attacks from behind could actually work against Brainiac. <laughs> it's to balance out those films where everybody had six necks. You know, Flashpoint Paradox. <laughs> they all stole Brainiac's neck and he's come for it now. <laughs> One super neck. <laughs> um, so this is a great fight because we do see the extent to which Superman is being put to his like ultimate test of fighting against Brainiac here. Brainiac does have the plan to take down Superman, but he does not calculate for the fact that Flash could have joined in to help. And mid-battle, you're hearing Brainiac say, oh, well, new variable, need to re- recalculate. Um, now moving to a 95% to a 99% uh, chance of victory. And as you're hearing this math go down, we see that Barry and Superman, it seems as if this is a meeting for the first time. And Barry, as the Flash, is trying to figure out how he can help Superman, which is successful at first. However, Brainiac does show that he does have an ace up his sleeve as he reveals a kryptonite bullet that he pulls out from his chest, puts into his... um. I don't really know what to call it. It's like a, a hover scooter, really, a hover Segway. And he aims the gun as the bullet travels through and is heading straight towards Superman. Superman gives Flash the details about what this bullet can do to him. And Flash tries his best to catch it. Unfortunately, it seems like he might be too fast because he enters the speed force. And this is where we see a shadow of a figure calling out to him to tell him to keep running as he pops up in the middle of a battlefield. Yeah, and this is, uh, we keep saying the action in this, but the action is really fun in this because Wonder Mm. Woman, we see her easily just tearing apart these Nazis, just almost to the borderline of like, should we feel bad? It's like, no, they're Nazis. (laughs) Of course not. Um, But she's scum. (laughs) <laughs> she is folding men in half. And I do mean that literally. She is folding them. <laughs> like It is just not fair. And as Wonder Woman is tearing through the battlefield, we see other people um, starting to pop up. But 
We do see Flash hit one Nazi with a shockwave punch. Doesn't even connect with the whole fist. Yo. Just like stops short and the shockwave from his speed hits the Nazi. And it's like, it's a fun thing we know Flash can do, but we hardly ever see. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if the TV show did this. At no, all. this is the first time I think I've ever seen it. Even in um, comics, like they allude to it, but obviously because they're not animated out, we don't really see to the extent. So this is the really the first time I remember seeing Flash really use these like his kinetic energy to create these like concussive kind of hits. Mm-hmm. And I love to see it because that had to be one of the greatest use of speed energy I've ever seen in my entire life. Like this was it was I'm sorry, I'm just going to geek out about this. Really, yeah, because it would look so cool. Like. We're always accustomed to seeing that scene in like comics and live action where Flash is walking through the bullets and he's moving them little by little. But here it is that he's like manipulating people by moving their guns slightly. It's a lot like what we see in the like the X-Men films with Quicksilver, how he does it. But mm-hmm. to see it done in this sense where it's just like you can see how he's using his just the air around him to influence all of this is just so cool to see i want to see more of it especially just like flash not hitting anybody but hitting them with like the the force of a thousand boulders (laughs) by hitting yourself in super (laughs) speed so he is feeling good about this but he has noticed he slowed down just a little bit and wonder woman catches up to him and of course guy out of nowhere with super speed she doesn't trust him at first but they both get distracted after steve violently kills a pilot and gets gets it was okay because it was a nazi yeah it's okay we're all we're excusing all of these but it was violent um but his plane is damaged and flash i love this little moment where using math and science he's able to calculate where steve is going to crash and starts racing towards it and as the plane is going down i'm pretty sure i may be misquoting slightly but i think trevor's last wish was that all his friends find the One Piece. That's how I heard it. Um, so his dedication to Oda-sensei is inspiring. <laughs> but as Barry's running towards the wreck, well, the world's fastest criminal, Jay Garrett, catches up to him. And together, instead of slowing it down or phasing it through, because they're a little bit slower than usual, they do tornado fists and are able to bring the plane down safely. So now things are a little bit calmer. No one's falling out of the sky. They get together to ask, what the hell is going on here? (laughs) Unfortunately, though, because this is the middle of the battlefield, this is um, as Barry is able to pick up on that. He feels he notices that he's in the past because this is all World War II stuff. So he's like, all right, I'm in the past. And they tell him that ideally you shouldn't try to involve yourself because you being from the future could influence things. And they're trying to avoid that. So they decide that um, Trevor is going to walk Barry back to their base or to the next stage of this battle while the rest of them speed off. And we get the coldest walk off. I feel like I've ever (laughs) seen in my entire (laughs) life because it's just like, it's, it's so cool because you see two of them like speed off. Some people take flight. Wonder Woman, of course, is just like has all the just i don't even know what to call it it's like a super form of riz honestly (laughs) um as she's like walking through we see the battle once again 
all while Barry's getting an explanation from Trevor about like who this team is, which is revealed they're the Justice Society of America, which he says, I know it's cheesy, but, um, you know, it's what we needed to do at this stage of the war. And Barry keeps asking, it's like, how come I've never heard about them? It's wild that like there's this whole team of heroes. They're so cool seeing them all work together in this way. And even though Steve is a little confused as to why he probably hasn't heard about them, he does state that they are a covert team. And what they do is that they use um, they do try to keep their battles or where they're they're influenced in smaller locations. Um, they have someone working with them in the press that would uh, sway the stories a little bit to try to say that like other things happen at the same time. And we see all that happening, you know, after the entire team basically destroys every single um, like Nazi soldier that's out there. Again, men were folded <laughs> during these battles. Yeah, I do like that. Um, the reason they have this reporter covering their stories is they say, look, these guys aren't invulnerable. They can be hurt. Well, maybe except for Wonder Woman, but <laughs> most of the team, our man, for example, he's only got a good hour um, mm-hmm. before someone can shoot at him. So they they basically reason like, look, Hitler can't find the weakness if we don't reveal that these people, strong people exist. So after this revelation, uh, Jay Garrick almost dies because he stood in one spot. Um, thankfully, <laughs> he had some help. But the Nazis locally surrender. And after this victory, Flash meets up with Shakespeare, who looks vaguely familiar, but we can't really place where he's from. And this is interrupted by Wonder Woman getting proposed to by Steve. And she says no, because apparently this happens pretty much every day. Moving Steve Trevor to our ultimate simp category, along with Zenetsu. Chainsaw Man. Uh, <laughs> there you go. But they do explain they've been at war for two years and they still do not want Flash to interfere no matter what happens. And this is where they have to make a decision. The biggest decision of all, what is Flash's name going to be? Because <laughs> as he states that his name is the Flash, um, Jay says, we already got one of those. So they decide to call him Future Boy um, just so that they can tell the difference between these two speedsters. <laughs> but they also decide that they're going to have Future Boy, which I'm not calling him now for the rest of this film, uh, <laughs> join along in their adventures, uh, which is now as they have a sit down. The next mission being that they have to save a code breaker because they do have some new code that came in. And the only person that can solve it is someone who Steve knows um, that he's communicated with in the past. Unfortunately, he's insane. And that's the lead off. Um, (laughs) So they realize that they band together. They realize they have to keep Flash or Future Boy next to them. Um, But he's not going to be truly like a bigger part of the mission. He's just going to team along on sides with um, currently in this particular part of the battle alongside Wonder Woman as they invade the Nazi fortress. And it is a wild interruption because, again, Wonder Woman just basically solos most of these missions by herself. Yeah, she's got all the perks on. She's overleveled for all of these missions, but (laughs) you appreciate it. Uh, So 
we get a, a, a lot of good tidbits here because Jay confirms he can't run as fast with the other with Future Boy here because they're sharing the speed force. So instead, when he gets trapped in a room with our man, he relies on his tornado arms, which works really well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we also get a Black Canary who's been kind of salty ever since Future Boy arrived. And she makes a great point because she says, hey, Future Boy has not heard of the JSA. So what does that say about how our mission is going to go? Like mm-hmm. the fact that none of us have been heard from. So he's understandably a bit concerned about that. Um, and that's been kind of sitting on her. She's been going through this thing because she has somebody at home she'd like to connect with. But she doesn't want to do it because of the nature of her life. And Hawkman's look, saying, look, I've been a simp for Shaira for multiple lifetimes. I'm right up there with Steve Trevor. So post-war, that's what I'm focusing on. So if you have a chance to go and get your happiness and love, do so, which is a running theme. Flash mm-hmm. and Wonder Woman have a similar conversation about if you have a chance at love, do you take it even when the world's on fire? But before they can answer that important question, Flash finds a room that he really wished he didn't step into. Uh, yes, this is the room right out of Constantine City of Demons, mm. uh, because this is a torture chamber that they have. And he's wonder he's looking around, seeing everything. Steve tries to console him a little bit, as well as Wonder Woman to say, like, they didn't know that it was like this at all. And we also see that another person has joined them on their search as Shakespeare is apparently walking through the halls to see what he can find as he enters into one room, opening the door to a small individual who has blonde hair and jorts. And oh my gosh, it's Commandy. Oh my God, how did he get here? (laughs) We don't know. We don't know. Where's the cricket? (laughs) Where is everything? But what year is it? (laughs) We're all what is happening? How did he get I I don't know, but from his ramblings, we do pick up on the fact it's commandy because the other thing that he does give him is a package. In this package, we see the ripped part hole in it, and it's exposing a Superman t-shirt direct from Old Navy. (laughs) As Shakespeare's wondering who this kid is, this is when the guard enters the room, shoots at Shakespeare, but then we see that every bullet bounces off of him. And as everyone comes in, uh, Wonder Woman knocks the guard out by slamming his head against the wall, which I'm assuming is not actually knocking him out, but actually killing him. <laughs> um, Shakespeare stands back up and we see this iconic bit of hair fall down in front of his face as everyone's starting to question, who are you? And when Shakespeare says that his real name is Clark Kent, this is when Barry states, wait, you're Superman. You must be Superman. How did you get here? I thought that I was the only one that came to the portal And this is when Shakespeare, now Clark, states, I have no idea what Porter you're talking about. Um, I came from another world. And when Barry or Future Boy is asking him, it's like, hey, what about your your parents? Um, This is what I had the question. Does Barry know Superman's identity? Um, 
I guess. Hmm. This is a good question. He shouldn't. <laughs> right. Because he's asking all these questions about like his civilian identity. And fortunately, uh, Shakespeare is able to answer him saying that mom pa can't unfortunately died. Um, so since then, he's kind of had like the sense of self-preservation of knowing when to enter places and when not to, which is great to hear because it's like a very direct conversation from uh, Superman Man Tomorrow and hearing that side of Superman now that he's taking more of John's side from that debate. But I couldn't like appreciate that conversation, this realization because of the fact that it's just like, I don't know if Barry actually knows Superman is Clark Kent. <laughs> and Commandy is still right there. Um, <laughs> but um, at the same time, this is happening. Hawkman and the others find uh, a man next to a golden helmet, the golden helmet of Dr. Fate. And he is, the guy is rambling. He can't make sense. And it's also clear that he's been tortured for a very long time. And as they're trying to get anything out of him, just trying to collect him, Flash arrives and the combination of Dr. Fate's knowledge and the encounter with Clark Kent make him realize he's not in the past. He's on a completely different Earth entirely, which is a fantastic revelation. Because it also raises the stakes because now anything can happen because mm -hmm. they're not bound by time. So Dr. Fate points them to the Bermuda Triangle. He says that's where everything's going down. And when Flash is like, hey, I would like to just not deal with these Nazis for the moment. Fate says, you can't leave because you didn't learn nothing yet. <laughs> so, um. Having given that advice, Dr. Fate dips <laughs> and they decide to go to the Bermuda Triangle on the best mode of travel. Uh, just a regular submarine. That, that's really all the other options. Yeah, I feel like they could have added something like a little, like a little yellow or something or anything. Um, but I did want to say, though, like uh, Jay Garrick is again proving that he is the fastest criminal alive because as soon as um, Future Boy or Flash learns that he's on a different Earth. Chase is like, but we're Earth One. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna steal that from you real quick. We are Earth One. Just letting <laughs> you know. Don't get any ideas. All right. <laughs> As they're on the sub, uh, we do see the intricacies of this team and how well they've been working alongside with um, United uh, the U.S. Armed Forces because uh, they're on this submarine. They're navigating underwater right underneath some Nazi warships and they're trying to avoid being detected. However, they are immediately detected <laughs> um, because the Nazi warships drop in some depth charges uh, to disable the engines, which starts to work by first uh, causing some leaks in the sub, which flashes uh, Future Boy Flash is easily able to fix. But then he starts asking, how do we jumpstart the engine? So now our two flashes work together to actually use the vibrational frequencies to create lightning and send the electronic pulse into the engines to start it back up. But as this is happening, they do see that one um the Nazi warships are basically dropping every single depth charge that they have on deck. 
and Water Woman decides, I'm going to go out into the water and fight against every single one of these bombs. And you would think that this wouldn't work. However, this is the Wonder Woman of Justice Society, World War II. So he immediately does. As Steve Trevor gives her one quick goodbye, tries to say things like, I want to make an honest Amazon out of you. Uh, but Wonder Woman has to clear up all these depth charges. And as it looks like one might get past her, we do see that it gets shot down by another ship that is floating by them and a group of Aquamen who are following along as we realize now that this whole time as they're traveling on the water, there is life underwater. Yeah, I do want to emphasize that Wonder Woman launching herself out of the submarine through the missile silo to go and punch ships and depth charges is mo- pretty much the most gangster thing I've ever seen Wonder Woman do. <laughs> so I just want to underscore that. But the Aquaman helped them out. And this is where they guide them to a cave. And this is where they meet the Aquaman himself, Arthur. And upon talking to Arthur during this conversation, we find out pretty casually that Themyscira is gone, apparently. Mm. It's been destroyed with this battle. But they think they can um, make a deal with Arthur. Arthur and his assistant, um, I'm just going to call him Psycho Pirate. The movie won't call him that, but that's who he is. <laughs> Aquaman and Psycho Pirate are there. And Psycho Pirate, basically, he said he was out at sea and Atlanteans happened to find him. So he just joined in down where it's wetter. Um, and as they're t- discussing their next move, Aquaman and Psycho Pirate trap the heroes, and Psycho Pirate even makes Aquaman do a Hail Heil Hitler. So, yeah, apparently this was all an elaborate trap. Psycho Pirate is on Hitler's side and wants to help ensure that he wins the war, so that means taking out these heroes and working on his next phase of the plan, and he's able to influence Aquaman's emotions to the fact that Psycho Pirate me- mentions those monkeys up there, <laughs> they'll they'll enslave your people. Knockman's like, slavery? Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> and prepares to attack the surface as the heroes struggle to get out. <laughs> I do. I do. I, I was actually shocked <laughs> that the voice of Psycho Pirate wasn't the voice <laughs> of Frieza. <laughs> so I was like, these two must have been in the same class. They're on the same Reddit page for all we know. <laughs> Those earthly monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> so now that our heroes are trapped in this dome, um, fortunately, it is a dome that Flash is able to, Future Boy Flash is able to figure out that there is a possibility for him to get out. And this is when he shares, man, it's been tough being in this universe because it feels like I don't have the full force of my speed. So something like this, I should be easily able to escape from. And Jay comes up um, and shares that, you know, maybe this is something from the speed force, which now turns into a full conversation of what is the speed force? Because 
we do get a sense that because um, Barry doesn't know what it is, that he's still pretty early on in his career as a Flash, as a speedster. And as he talks, he gets a great explanation that I, the speed force is much like photosynthesis, where these plants are able to absorb all the energy from the sun. And if there's too many, then that all that sunlight needs to get spread out accordingly. So the less plants there are, the more that they'll grow. But if there's too many, then there's going to be like a, they're going to have to split it off. So they realize that the best course of action is to combine their abilities. And Jay shares that he has an idea about phasing through solid matter, which he was able to do when he was younger, which now makes me question how old is Jay Garrick even in this universe? <laughs> he looked hella young. <laughs> well, he used to be doing that when he was stealing, you know, vibrating <laughs> through everything. But, you know, it was like, I was vibrating through bank faults. <laughs> <laughs> He's older. He's just trying to, like, get away from crime. So together, Flash is able to the is able to escape, get to the lower level, and just does a whole bunch of punching. (laughs) It's fun (laughs) to see Flash just punching people. Um, and here is where he lets them out, just all the other heroes out, and he lets them know the Atlanteans are are teaming up with the Nazis and are gonna attack the eastern seaboard of the United States. So to that effect, Aquaman's even going to open a secret cage to help him out. And I do love that uh, Flash and Wonder Woman go out personally to stop Aquaman. And Flash even gets a pressure suit to help him out. And right before Aquaman summons, the releases the cage, the Kraken, Flash comes in and punches him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> With some super speed um, kicking. <laughs> And um, Flash, we wanted to see y'all. This is the 2023 should have given us this flash. He would kill the Olympics. Um, <laughs> Wonder Woman also gets in on the fun. And at this point, it makes you realize this is kind of like a fun. I don't know if this is intentional or not, but this reminded me of Flashpoint Wonder mm-hmm. Woman versus Aquaman. Um, only this time, instead of this being over a cheating scandal, it's Nazis. <laughs> So I am fully on Wonder Woman's side. <laughs> um, but before the, the attack can finish, the Kraken breaks out of the cage, takes Aquaman away, and the Atlantean attack on the eastern seaboard begins. Yep. As everyone heads on over to what I'm assuming is New York, it looks like uh, looks like Coney Island, so sorry, Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, everybody is starting to battle against the Atlantean soldiers. As we get, like, once again, another scene pulled straight from Flashpoint, which was intentional by the uh, the writer and creators of this movie, um, as well as from what we saw in Throne of Atlantis, where the Atlanteans are now attacking the people on land. We see the heroes show up. We also see that the Aquaman, alongside his psychopirate advisor, has arrived with the Kraken. They are attacking everything. So our heroes have to step in and are using all of their abilities to try and take down these monsters, take down these soldiers. We obviously, because it's a war movie, we get these like quips about things that was happening, especially with uh, World War II, about like master race my rear. Also, (laughs) America doesn't surrender. Like again, these like typical, very national patriotic uh, phrases coming from our heroes here. So we it looks like they're having the upper hand. It looks like our heroes are winning. Unfortunately, though, when Black Canary gets cornered, 
Hawkman comes in to save her, swoops in, but unfortunately, one of the sea monsters stabs him straight through his torso, and he falls to the ground, still, though, protecting Canary from taking the most of the hit. And this is where we get a very heartbreaking scene as Hawkman is dying in her arms. She's pleading with him to stay with her. And the last words that he says are, once again, to enjoy life. Don't think that love is just something trivial or something that you can't attain. Like, here I am. I'm going to see my one. He doesn't say her name, but he does. We do know this Shire, um Hawk or a Hawk woman that he's going to see her in the next life. But he reminds Canary that it's important to enjoy what you have. And Canary does that. She decides what she's going to enjoy right now is unleashing her screams to the fullest potential. I think at one point she screamed so loudly that I'm unsure if there was water there on the ground where she was standing, but it was gone by the end of it. It is completely, I don't know, it evaporated, it got pushed away. But monsters and Aquaman were dying left and right. Yeah, I mean, at one point she just screams the skin off of a yeah. creature. Like, yeah, her her screams are so intense in this film, and it's a great. We always know Black Canary is obviously a strong character, but we rarely get to see her screams used so effectively. So it was really fun. I do want to point out that earlier in the film, Doctor Fate said, "Hawkman, you're going to see Shaira real soon." Is this what you meant? Is this what you meant, man? <laughs> you should go just join the battle at some point. Come on, man. <laughs> but the scene is, yeah, the scene is still really fun. A lot of great action. Too much great action to say. Just watch it for yourself because mm-hmm. hey, Garrick is smooth as a criminal. Um, our man. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> that was good. That was good. <laughs> but saving these. <laughs> Our man, despite only having an hour, is putting in three days worth of work by himself. Mm-hmm. Jay Garrick at one point also explodes a crap man from the inside. <laughs> Respect. <laughs> only someone as hardcore as Jay could get away with that. We eventually get down to a point where Steve is up against Aquaman, <laughs> which but full respect on his name, Steve yes. Wonder Woman's boyfriend, Trevor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he, he, uh, he has no shot. And Aquaman tells him straight out, you have no business fighting with gods. And luckily, at the last minute, Wonder Woman says, I do, gets, gets another punch in on Aquaman for round two. And this leads into, it's a great scene, great action scene. Very reminiscent of what we see in the Flashpoint storytelling of these two battling it out. Uh, so it does remind us like what we've been kind of talking about since even Young Justice that like Atlanteans can go toe to toe with a lot of these like powerhouse characters that we tend to say that they're the top tier characters. So don't count these Aqua people out. Um, fortunately for us, though, Aquaman in this movie is being swayed. And Wonder Woman is able to break that control by breaking his trident. So the blast that comes out of it is enough to apparently clear Aquaman's mind. And as he looks around, realizing everything that he does, he retreats out of guilt. He calls the Kraken, the sea monster, to come and take him back into his place. I mean, that's the best way I think you can think of without having to pay responsibilities for your actions. (laughs) So it's all good. But then this is when it's revealed that the advisor still doesn't want to let up on his plan, 
which is that now he has called in an airstrike from some Nazi bombers to come in and attack the entire eastern seaboard. Brooklyn's in trouble here. And another thing that's in trouble is Steve Trevor as he watches on. But as he looks, the thing he doesn't see is the advisor psycho pirate come up with the broken pointed side of Aquaman's trident to stab him in the back, leaving him for dead. Mm. And although Flash finds him and Steve says, oh, I'll be fine. And it's going to take mm. a little bit more than some Neil Swaran, man. And you don't even <laughs> have it. It's World War II. So the little bit of hope in all this is that Superman arrives. He takes the bombers out. He doesn't want to sit on the sidelines anymore. And this gives time for Wonder Woman to find Steve, who lets her know that, you know what? Tomorrow is never guaranteed. You have to live today. So he asks her one last time to marry him. But right before he can put on the ring, Steve dies on the battlefield. In the midst of this, Psycho Pirate just goes. He just leaves. (laughs) Which, I, I mean, look, smart this is a big distraction this is the time to go but he's just gone (laughs) and with superman's arrival as in most situations the fight's over once superman is there it's it's over so in the midst of this wonder woman gives flash the ring that steve was going to give her just as a reminder physical and emotional reminder to not waste that time to live in today. And with that, it's time for Flash to go home, man. Unfortunately, as we have determined from this film, he's just not fast enough. So this is when Jay uh, offers to do a good deed for all of his crimes and uses his half of the speed force to help propel Flash back into his time, which works. And as Flash enters, we see back to the earlier stages of our film where Flash is chasing after this bullet that's headed straight for Superman. And then we see now the older, more experienced new this Flash that we've traveled along with our journey uh, run back into the spot in which his other Flash, past Flash counterpart is, grabs the bullet, spins on the heel of his foot and throws it back right dead center through the head of Brainiac, completely ending the invasion entirely. It is an awesome scene. Honestly, probably one of my favorite scenes out of this entire film. Mm -hmm. And as Flash is just trying to figure out what to do next because he's trying to catch back up to what's going on, Superman is also in shock because he's trying to figure out how was Flash able to do this. When did he learn to do such crimes? I wonder. (laughs) (laughs) Murder is a crime, (laughs) y'all. We're back. It's no longer Nazi murder. This is regular murder. (laughs) Just one day with Jay Garrick. See what it does to you? Just one day? (laughs) I knew that man was a bad influence. (laughs) As the two of them talk, uh, Flash does have a quick moment when she calls Clark Shakespeare. And just to confirm, Clark has no idea what he's talking about. So we know that flashes back into his current timeline onto his current uh, his on his Earth as the movie starts to wrap up with him telling this whole story to Iris West. Yep. And this is where he says, well, before he gets to another proposal, he does propose to Superman the idea of a Justice League. Just uh, something to promote truth, 
just as an American way. And I'll let the American way thing slide here because mm-hmm. Nazis just <laughs> happened. Nazis. Right. So <laughs> this is the only, this may be the only time it's ex- acceptable and not cringy. Yeah. So he's talking about this and he goes to Iris and says, you know what? I, I, I got to stop wasting things. Got to stop focusing on tomorrow. Let's have today. And this is where he proposes to Iris, who apparently, since he hasn't been around her friends or family, they're going to be real shocked. But <laughs> don't worry about that, because the movie is finished. <laughs> yes. So as we sit here and wonder if Flash actually wiped that and cleaned the ring off properly and got it resized for <laughs> Iris, I just had some thoughts. It was in a lot of blood, y'all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave you with this podcast from the Forgotten Entertainment family that you should be listening to the next time not listening to us. Attention, culture consumers. Join me, the queen of queries, Sarah O'Connor, and my band of nerdy knights. Colleen McMillan. Flo Siegel. And Anders Drew. On Bohemian Geek Studies, where we take extremely dorky dives into our favorite fandoms, especially that Star Wars galaxy far, far away. Listen each week as we examine the stories that mean so much to us. Bohemian Geek Studies is available wherever you get your podcasts and is proudly part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. All right. Uh, So now that we have finished talking about Justice Society, World War II, the introduction of the Flash within our Tomorrowverse, along with a bunch of other JSA members, how many folded men from Wonder (laughs) Woman are you giving this film? (laughs) Fittingly, for the folded men, I'm giving it eight and a half. Eight and Mm. a half. This is a really, really good movie, mainly because it does two things very well. It it highlights characters we don't get to see. We have mm-hmm. not gotten to see get this much time with Black Canary, Our Man, um, Hawkman in a movie. Yeah, that's it. That's the end of the yeah. scene. I can't I just, remember. <laughs> <laughs> like the last time we've seen these in an animated film. Wonder Woman in particular, the respect she deserves, more mm-hmm. respect than I think she got in Bad Blood. To, uh, not Bad Blood. <laughs> Bloodlines. <laughs> Another blood movie. Another blood movie. <laughs> um, she is so powerful here. She's so radiant. So I love the commitment to this team, the JSA. I love the twist that it's not the past. It's another dimension. That's a great, great twist. Because you think you know where the movie's going and then they throw that hurdle in your face and that Mm -hmm. means anything can happen. The action scenes are 100% great. Every one of them is really creative. Flash gets to use his powers in really creative ways. So what kept it from being perfect? Two things. One, Psycho Pirate disappears. He doesn't Mm. get a name in the movie. We don't really get a sense of his motivations except... The fact that he's like, oh, I, I felt like the Nazis were going to win. So I sided with them. And to me, here's my RT alteration. The only time I'll ever say this, just make him a Nazi. You know, just yeah. make Psycho Pirate a Nazi from the jump. Like, I, I disagree with that. So quickly. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. God. <laughs> like, and if you want him to use him for something later, just tell us that, oh, you know, 
he ended up on the bad side of some Nazis. Mm. Or if you want to go that far, but I think very simple to the chase, he's already on the Nazi side. Because for me, saying like, oh, I thought they were going to win. But you see this team of heroes and don't think America could? Like, and the <laughs> allies? Like, uh, you know, I don't know why he made that choice. So I would like to see that impact and a resolution with him. <laughs> it kind of just disappears. Um, and to that effect, I wish we got a little bit more about Superman's reluctance to, to not help. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a few more moments because he has such a big role in ending it. I thought we could have given him a little bit more to work with in terms of his reluctance because it was headed towards that Man of Steel direction where we kind of had a, a good sense. One thing mm-hmm. Man of Steel does very well is establish why Clark has not been doing this. So I wish we would have gotten a little bit more of that um, to, to tie it all together. And then the point five bump is because he who must not be named is not here. A certain hero mm-hmm. from a certain city that has no powers is not here, not mentioned. Fantastic. Love that kind of restraint in this movie. That got it. It's point five. Um, yes. What about you? How many men folded in half are you giving this movie? <laughs> I'm in a similar boat as I am going to give it uh, an eight, but I will give the honorable point five for also doing what you just said they didn't do. So <laughs> really appreciate that. Um, the things that really work for me is just like this version of the Flash. It is a great version of the Flash, by which I mean our Barry Allen here, uh, because something I feel like we tend to forget is that these superheroes also have identities outside <laughs> of their superhero them and it's just like flash is smart as hell y'all outside of flash knowledge outside of speed learning he's a csi so like that scene in which um as he's seeing steve trevor's um plane go down and he's analyzing really quickly like the the wind the 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 wingspan of hawkman that felt real that felt absolutely real so that's why i really appreciate that they included this sense of like flash can be smart this also has like slight bumbling around of like you feel like you understand that because he's operating at super speed, he's not grasping everything, but not to the point where it's just like he's so lost that you're le- he's leaving the viewer lost also in some mm-hmm. other stuff that we've seen. So I definitely want to see more of this kind of flash, this flash that's like enjoying his speed, understands how doesn't quite understand how it works, but understands in certain th- ways how it works. Um, so no creepy laugh, no babies in microwaves. Just <laughs> let it let our flash be like this. So Matt Bomer did a great job in voicing the flash. Um, as well as well as every other person, they did a great job in voicing their characters. I really felt like a lot of the stuff did strike a chord with me in the way they were um explaining things, how they were explaining things, the tone, the inflection, all of that worked well. Also, the themes of the movie were really hit. I think they did a great job and just like as you mentioned, it's like this reveal of it being a different earth and rather a different time because it does work well. Like you don't know what to expect from this film. And once that gets dropped, you're like, okay, this completely changes the game. Now mm-hmm. you don't know what to expect. We don't know what to do. And it works well with that. It really works well with that. Um, the speed force. This is our first introduction to the speed force. And I think that 
Jay Garrick, I, he probably stole it from somebody else, but so I wouldn't put it <laughs> past him. But the explanation that he gives is really great for someone who doesn't understand the Speed Force quite well. Because even as I was listening to it, I was like, oh, well, yes, all my other prior Flash knowledge is connecting to what he's saying now about it being very similar to photosynthesis and how now hearing that, I was just like, you know, I do wonder how that affects other Flash lore out there. Like we talk about, it does explain how certain characters are faster than others, but also notices that like what is a little bit of like Flash plus the one from Jet Li. Mm. And I love that kind of explanation there. What about the Uh, spaghetti? You know, there was no spaghetti introduction <laughs> explanation here. <laughs> the spaghetti the spaghetti explanation only just makes me hungry. Like, <laughs> like this, this makes more sense for me. <laughs> but also just the other thing as well, the teases of the larger threats, they don't take up the full the full movie. They're just thrown in really quickly. You could easily forget about them. But you can see how they will tie into the future. Like, if it wasn't for watching Commandy, we probably would be lost about who this kid is. But then you realize after that whole scene, you don't have to worry about Commandy and him being in prison this <laughs> entire time. Because we immediately jump to the story, the story within the story about who Shakespeare really is. So it doesn't tee up something too large to the point where now we're distracted. It's literally just a side comment that we can now move on from. Yeah, because I, w- I was worried about how are you going to explain past Superman, Superman going mm-hmm. back to the past. And luckily it was just much simpler. He's just yeah. not, he's a different Superman. <laughs> different Superman. It makes so much more sense. And again, I think animation, fight scenes, all that was really great. Uh, I also really enjoyed the conversations that were happening within with the characters and these new characters that we hardly get times with. So like Black Canary and Hawkman. I think their conversation was really well done. I did kind of wish we kind of dive into her character a little bit more, maybe, because in the beginning of the film, it's hinted that she's, it's said rather, that she's been shunned by her community. And I was wondering why was she shunned by her community? Mm-hmm. Like, it makes it feel like from that comment, it makes it feel like these people are like misfits being brought together. And I feel like we get so many hints of why Canary could be a misfit but we don't explain why she mm-hmm. is like what what why is she being shunned by her community um i also felt like because of the way that the conversations were going i didn't get like a proper read on how old black canary could be in this film like she looks like she's uh she's like an older person but it doesn't i kind of wish that we was like someday there's some things to maybe make it feel like maybe she was a little bit younger, still trying to understand the way the world works. And this is why she's been kind of shunned by her community because of that. Mm-hmm. I would see another movie with these, this. Oh yeah. Society. Mm-hmm. I don't even need the flash. I would just watch that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause I think that they're a great team. Like they are part of the original heroes that were put together in comic book storytelling. Like they are the, the golden age before earth, multiple earths came to play they were earth one so i mean jay was right but like you know like there's just needs to be i think in this particular story i kind of wish i agree like if there was like another movie to show who they are and where they go from here i'm hoping that we can do that because i do want to get to a chance to hear more about like what is black canary's past and why she is the way she is and the other reason i had to knock it down the point was just because um 
there was just a bit of a plot hole here that it doesn't get quite explained of like does flash know that clark kent is superman because even though it looks like he's just able to pick up on it because of the fact that like he sees his face which is the running joke of comics where it's just like superman as clark kent takes off his glasses and people are like hey you look mm-hmm. like superman but the fact that he was able to pick up on like the familial knowledge of superman and clark kent it does feel like he knows more so that's where i just felt like they didn't navigate it quite right um so i do wish that it kind of like cleaned that up a little bit that and also just like the psycho pirate thing too i wish they just there's just some like storytelling that i wish they cleaned up a little bit like even if it's just like adding in a scene like i mean yes the action scenes are great but maybe we could have lost maybe one action scene Mm -hmm. just for explanation about certain things here and there yeah just tell me where psycho pirate went (laughs) right where where is he that's the only reason why I had to drop it down by two points. It's just, it's the craziest thing. It's just like, I dropped it by two points because I want more. Mm-hmm. I want more to the story. It's not like they didn't do it quite right. It's just that I just want more explained in it. And it's there. I can feel it. Great movie other than that, which is amazing to see because I feel like when you do have movies that have such a wide all-star cast of all these powerful beings, it's hard to get a story that could show so much depth between each and every single character. And it's almost there. I think it's truly is almost there. And that was the only thing holding it back for a 10 out of 10 for me. Yeah. So this movie does cover a lot of superheroes, uh, superheroes of which we have discussed in other movies and other timelines and other stories. So I uh, didn't feel like it was appropriate to try to go through who the JSA is, because I think we actually mm-hmm. did cover that at one point. Yeah, for something or other. <laughs> right. Which is why I felt like today might be the perfect time for a real history lesson for people. <laughs> <laughs> um. So today we're going to be talking about comics and their impact on World War II. <laughs> Don't say you never learned nothing from us. Exactly. <laughs> just like just like Dr. Pate. Now you can't leave until you learn something. <laughs> uh, but before we start, Andrew, how much of World War II do you remember from I, if I rem- remember <laughs> I was in my life? None. I wasn't alive. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because I was just thinking about it. We both actually had the same history teacher up until the age of 13 or so. <laughs> <laughs> like it wasn't one person, y'all. It was, yeah. it was we had we were in the same classes. <laughs> you know, the basics, you know, uh Hitler bad, kill him. Uh that's that's basically <laughs> what I remember from World War II. <laughs> yes, uh shout out to uh you know, Mrs. Scrinato. Uh he's helped us. <laughs> <laughs> a man has a down for us. Like he he actually influenced the way I even write right now. Like my handwriting is spectacular compared <laughs> to a couple people. <laughs> um but yeah, we learned a lot about World War II from our social studies classes, not just because we had to take these tests and understand that Hitler was <laughs> bad and you know, and learning who was involved, Switzerland not being involved. But something we probably didn't cover quite so much was the impact that comics had within World War II and vice versa. Uh, but so before we start, um, do want to share that some stuff may come up that might be triggering triggering for people because it does connect to some 
racist and xenophobic thoughts that are coming out of World War II that does end up being conveyed in a lot of comics. So we apologize in advance for any harm that that causes. Um, if you don't want to hear that, offer you a chance to head on over to check out our Tomorrowverse DC showcases, where it's full of demons, cheeky SOBs, and Commandy the last taxpayer on Earth. <laughs> Other than that, let's get started uh, by me first stating that comics were basically propaganda during World War II. <laughs> uh, so there is, of course, ad campaigns going out for World War II because it was always like about um, Hitler evil people are out there being harmed. You got to step up. You got to do what's right. So we're hearing about all these things through like posters and ad campaigns and the newspapers or radio programs, all towards the adults way of absorbing information. So the only way that they can get kids to understand this as well was to put it into comics in the golden age of comics between the thirties and forties. Mm. And we see a lot of this in how a lot of the characters from then were designed. Um, you know, as we mentioned at one point, Superman's way of fighting was always truth, justice in the American way. We have Wonder Woman. We see her character designs very inspired by the American flag, even though she's from the island of the mascara. We had Captain America. <laughs> that That's all I'm going to say about that. But even if you look at the... Um, not the most recent Captain Marvel film, but the first Captain Marvel film, she changes her costume midway through the film to match up with the colors of the U.S. government of the, the Air Force that she's a part of, even though she's supposed to be a hero trying to help people from another planet. Yeah, fun fact, people, if you want to do a movie and uh, you need some U.S. military planes, they'll give them to you. Just make sure the military looks A-OK, you know? <laughs> Michael Bay can teach you a master class on that. <laughs> <laughs> so with comics in general, though, back during this time, we did see that not too many comics were first talking about what was happening in the war. When Germany had invaded Poland, at that point, America still wasn't even involved in the war. So a lot of comics outside of the major companies, by which I mean like these caricatures, stuff you'll see and like similar to the New Yorker, they would draw like Uncle Sam chilling on the sidelines while everybody else is at war and or doing other things, just like sharing and occupying space. And there were only a few people who actually created stories to convey their message about how hurt they were about what was what the Nazis were doing. Uh, specifically like Jack Kirby, who created like Captain America and created that design to show uh, Captain America punching out a not Hitler here to show that like, hey, you don't like what's going on. And that was the first sense of like actual wartime propaganda to come out. And at this point, again, we still weren't involved. But once the bombing of Pearl Harbor happened, this was when America decided that we are fully joining into the battle. And this is where we saw a dramatic shift in the way that comics were portraying America. Mm. Um, we saw more heroes stand up for the American way. We saw characters being created to look like American soldiers or American heroes and donning the American colors. And DC fell into that heavily. <laughs> but it wasn't just that. As I mentioned, the big thing that came out of World War II was getting adults to 
try to get them prepared to understand that they have to support our troops. And the biggest way to support our troops, as many of you have probably heard more recently from uh, Captain America First Avenger, was to invest in these wartime bonds. These bonds helped uh, provide guns, ships, almost sounding like... <laughs> What's his name uh, from Hamilton, Hamilton right now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he needed guns and ships. And the best way to do that was to invest in these war bonds that help to put a gun in your best guy's hand. And DC fell full for the idea. So we saw on the cover art of a lot of these stories, like in Superman and Batman, it's them literally t- selling war bonds to people coming up to them. We saw Superman saying that it's best to do this. We saw Batman and Robin. They are like, along with Superman, they're straddling like the cannons off of a ship to get people invested of being there for their um, for their soldiers. And fun fact about the about Batman in particular, we know that Batman doesn't like to use guns. <laughs> but when he first came out, he did. Eventually, the use of guns was eliminated from Batman. But then once the war started happening and the U.S. got involved, this is when DC was just like, nah, we got to show Batman using guns. So we did see that or rather passing guns off to a more competent soldier. So he would take the gun, pass it to a soldier. You will see him there with a smile on his face as he's using a rail gun as Robin is transferring off the bullets into the gun itself. And we just saw all of this stuff. Even Disney got involved in it, where we saw Donald Duck showing a war bond that you can just easily buy from from them. Because what they decided to do as comics was that because comics were cheaper and obviously the cost of a war bond was a little bit too expensive for a kid at one time. uh, What they decided to do was that for every comic you bought, you you could put in an additional 10 cents. And that 10 cents, when accumulated could add up to a war bond entirely. So the more comics you bought, the more likely you could get a war bond to send over to somebody that needs it over in the in during the war. I guess, you know, do what you got to do. But wow, <laughs> the, the propaganda mm-hmm. uh, machine does, never stops working, huh? It really does it. And to be clear, um, we we do fully support them doing what they got to do to kill the Nazis. You know, like, right. I don't, yeah, we don't want to yeah, make yeah. it seem like that. <laughs> it's, it's just wild. If it, if it wasn't, yeah, it is. It's a lot, especially because when you really think about it, it are it's like ten year old kids who are buying war bonds. Yeah, yeah. So even in the storytelling, it started to involve a bit more of like the purchase of war bonds. In one of the earlier issues of Wonder Woman. The battle does end. The comic itself officially ends with her selling war bonds to someone and even telling the reader to buy war bonds. <laughs> um, so really trying hard. And in one of those comics, too, most of the times in comics, we see that comics worked a lot like newspapers where you could buy ad space within the comic. And what DC did in one comic was they actually volunteered the entire back cover of one of their comics to the U.S. Treasury to be a letter to the American public asking them to buy war bonds. Ooh, now that's that's some good advertising. So all of this to say was that we fully fell for the war bond effort when it came to comics. And 
it was not only just through the cover art that came out, it was also through even the creation of certain superheroes. Like, um, we know that Captain America faced off against the Nazis, but then Captain Marvel from the DC Universe, aka Shazam, uh, he also had a Nazi-themed villain whose name I cannot say on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the 1940s during this entire time was we saw a drastic shift in the way that comic book storytelling was being told because again, these stories were all written for propaganda. So and eventually we see that play out even in some of the future storytelling. Uh, now they've eliminated most of the, of course, the war bond uh, propaganda, try to buy it, you get a deal kind of thing. But a lot of this stuff stuck, um, especially as you see here today in just the Society of America, where it's just like all of their dialogue in certain cases is tying into the anti-Nazi agenda of just like master race my rear, America doesn't surrender, this very strong sense of nationalism. So and that stuck for certain individuals and it took a very long time for some things to change. So that is why it was only up until maybe about two, four or five years ago when Superman, maybe even less, the Superman stopped saying the American way and started saying the better tomorrow. It's why some characters like uh, Captain America are now of standing up against what is actually right in our own country, standing for people who have been marginalized for a while, because at that point, prior to that, he had to fight for a united front for the United States. But now it's time to do the work within America. So it's going to take some time before we see these stories change. I'll admit that because, um, you know, it's we, it was for a while very heavily written towards creating these kinds of stories where it's just like we have to protect our country from outside forces and many other countries fell into that same kind of thinking because um as i've mentioned about america creating these like bigger comics um connected to the bigger companies of creating these heroes there were other characters and other stories that were written out to help inform soldiers because the thing that ended up happening was that the more comics got sold, the more soldiers really enjoyed them. So between the first year of America joining the battle to the following year, comic sales doubled from 15 million to almost like 30 million. Mm. And it really surprisingly, but thankfully, also really helped the literacy rate of many Americans throughout, not only in the United States, but across seas who were battling in this war. See? Anyone's mom complains about comics. Tell them about literacy. Exactly. And it helped because a lot of these soldiers were seeing themselves as people who were competent. Um, you know, they're at a point where it's just like they don't know what's happening next. They don't know what's going to happen to them. But in the comic book pages, they were being drawn as heroes themselves. So in people might question, well, if you have a Superman, if you have a Batman, if you have a Wonder Woman... Why is it that they weren't out there just ending the battles really quickly since they have all these powers? And the writers thought about that and wrote stories about it. <laughs> For example, Superman, he failed the exam to join in to be a soldier because he was so excited to join the war effort that he accidentally used his x-ray vision to read the, um, the eye chart in another room and people thought he was cheating. So they decided that it's best for Clark Kent not to be a part of the war. Therefore, Superman couldn't actively join in. But what he could do 
was go maybe cl help clean the barracks, help in the kitchen with like the soldiers, because by the time he headed over there, the stories and the soldiers were being characterized as the super most competent individuals in this war effort. And they didn't even need the help of Superman. That's good. Superman can focus on uh, getting tires sold, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but at the same time, as these soldiers were being drawn to be amazing individuals, we did have comics, as I was mentioning, where other individuals were unfortunately not being put in the best light. Uh, there were some comics in which told how to distinguish a, a person of Chinese descent from a person of Japanese descent, because at that point, again, uh, America had beef with Japan because of everything that happened in Pearl Harbor. And this is where we saw a lot of xenophobic racist comments and illustrations being brought out where a lot of the time they were being described as like bloodthirsty torturers. So this painted a picture that for Americans, J J um, from the American lens, Japan was nothing but horrible individuals who were going to come here and destroy our way of life entirely. And again, same thing with the Nazis, too. They were drawn as in a lot of comics as bumbling fools, um, mostly as a way to show that, like, hey, America is better than a lot of these characters and a lot of these people who are coming to destroy your way of life. And this was answered by many other countries trying to do the same, where they drew American soldiers as bumbling people. Japan, in order to get more uh, Asian and Pacific Islander individuals to join the effort outside of Japan, they showed how they were going to try to create a, an atomic, a united front of Asian ideals to help show that they were, they would, they're not, they're not in this battle just for the sake of trying to blow things up, but they're trying to protect their way of life. And the same thing, even for like England and France, where they tried to join people, get people to join their side of the war effort by showing how terrible their lives could be if Germany came in and destroyed and attacked everything that they were a part of. And Germany did the same thing. They tried to get people by showing what would happen if the allies tried to jump in and destroy their way of life, all in an effort to show people that like, hey, this is your way of life is in danger. And I'm showing you this through the power of comics because it helped so much to convey such a powerful, such a, a, a message, a deep message in just simple illustrations and being able to mass produce it without having it be that you have to print out an entire book trying to sway people to your way of thinking. Mm -hmm. So that was how everything really came out to be, why we saw such a boom in comics when during, the, um, during World War II, why now um, after the war, though, we did see like, there was a surge still of comics and this helped to open up the ideas of being able to tell different kinds of stories is why we shifted from heroes that just has super strength and speed into more of these mystical sci-fi heroes because the more that people saw these stories the more they were like well maybe there are more where it's just why we got the stories about the occult i don't know if that was actually happening during world war ii but like hey if it was um, these kinds of things were able to inspire a lot of future storytelling. And that's why comics nowadays, they are just such a powerful force of education because, again, they are just commenting on what's happening in your reality without it having to be 
a sit-down thesis manifesto, you get the, the sense of what's going on in just like 20-odd pages a week. It's important to uh, you know meet people if they're not used to taking information in in one medium to meet them where they're at. And mm-hmm. a lot of people, pretty much anyone, can pick up a comic book and maybe not understand everything that's going on if they're talking about multi-universes and seven jokers and uh and <laughs> reincarnations but consent the themes and you know of, of people trying to do the right thing um and you know depending on who's writing it it can really be a powerful tool of influence for good or not so good you know mm-hmm. it all depends on perspective um but yeah stories are important y'all that's why we're here <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And with that, that's your history lesson of the day. So thank you for sticking around and learning something alongside with us. Uh, join us next week as we continue on our journey through the Tomorrowverse, as we are not going to be covering Batman um, Long Halloween. We This is probably, we almost did it. We almost had a full season without Batman. Unfortunately, <laughs> he will be popping up. Um, but we are going to be talking about some futuristic heroes as we discuss the legion of superheroes um, in the next set of Tomorrowverse films. So be sure to support us on our Patreon and check us out on our socials for updates on episodes that you can find across podcast platforms and on YouTube. Uh, Take care of yourselves. And remember that if you get a ring from someone else, you know, maybe first get it appraised, maybe get it resized, you know, before you propose with it. But at the bare minimum, just clean it off in case it might have fallen into blood. And if you end up in another world instead of being in a different time, still try to find those lotto numbers. You never mm. know, right? Like you maybe, maybe invest in some socks and bonds, <laughs> get something out of it. War boss? <laughs> War bonds. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. Yet another DC animated podcast is a proud part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. If you liked what you heard, leave a review and share us with a friend. Also be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at YADC Animated Pod.